Hello, Channel Pros. Thank you for listening to the Channel Journeys podcast. I hope you're having a great year so far. Hard to believe we're already in the third month of the first quarter. Easter's only a month away. Wow. Time's moving very quickly, too quickly, I think. This is Rob Spee, the host of Channel Journeys and Outdoor Adventure Seeker. This past weekend, I rode my first mountain bike race called the Southern Cross here in Georgia. It was 50 miles with grueling climbs, body-shaking descents, beautiful scenery along the mountain creeks. I didn't come close to winning any medals, that's for sure, but man, it was really fun. And it's really fun to share that Channel Journeys hit a big milestone last week. As I shared on LinkedIn, we reached our first 100,000 downloads of the show. Very cool. That got me looking at some podcast statistics, and I learned a few things. One is that the top three reasons people like us listen to podcasts is to learn new things, be entertained, and stay up to date with the latest topics. Hopefully I'm hitting at least two out of three for you on those fronts. Also, I learned that the country where podcasts are the most popular is actually South Korea, followed by Spain. The U.S. is number five in the list in terms of percentage of people listening to podcasts. I also learned that there are over 2 million active podcasts today. That's a lot. The top 5% of podcasts have about 9,000 downloads per episode. The top 10% have 3,400 downloads per episode. Well, Channel Journeys, we're averaging just under 2,000 downloads per episode. So much better than average, but not good enough. I'd really like to see Channel Journeys get into that top 10% this year. That would help me land more fantastic guests. It'd help us all get more people educated on the power of the partner ecosystem. And I'm wondering, will you help me? Will you help me grow this audience? All it will take from each of you, my listeners, is to introduce Channel Journeys to your channel friends. If you can each get just one more listener to the show, we can double the audience and help build the channel profession. All right, on to today's episode. We have been spending a lot of time talking about the modern partner ecosystem, right? But while we're building our ecosystems, we can't forget about the basics of driving channel performance. So for today's episode, I'm rebooting an earlier episode that I did, and I think it's just as relevant today as when I recorded it four years ago. This is my interview with Josh Lewis back when he was VP of channel sales at Alterix, and Alterix was experiencing hyper growth and Josh had to adapt his channel strategy to fuel that growth through partners. And if you're wondering, how do you get partners to engage more? How can you succeed with more targeted partner recruiting? Or, or how can you align your sales and channel teams to drive breakthrough performance? Well, those are the questions Josh is going to answer for you today. Are you ready to learn how to accelerate your channel growth? Let's go. Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hey, Josh, good morning. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. I'm very pleased to have you on the show today. Rob, thrilled to be here, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk. Well, it's always great to talk with fellow channel chiefs, and you are the channel chief of a company, an analytics company that is just exploding, Alteryx, and we're going to dive into that. Where are we reaching you today? I'm in my home office in beautiful Redlands, California, which is in Southern California, in the middle of what, what used to be known as the Citrus Belt. And so it's about, say, 75 miles from Orange County, where Altrix has her headquarters. Okay, excellent. I know Redlands well. My brother lives out there. That's great. 
Excellent. So as vice president of Global Channels, tell us a little bit about your role there. You joined about a year ago. What have you been working on? Yeah, so Altrix is a, just to give you a little background on sort of who we are and what we do, um, you know, Altrix is very much an overnight success that took all of 22 or 23 years to uh, to come together. So the, Only 22 or 23 years? Yeah, overnight success, right? But really, like a lot of tech companies, it started off, you know, with some founders that had passion for solving some customer problems. And we're doing that through, you know, services and consulting. And eventually that turned into, you know, some product that they built to make the services and consulting work better. Interesting. Uh, and, and then the product became, you know, more interesting than the consulting. And they, they really shifted over from being a services company to a product company. And that journey took many, many years. And so at some point, product got strong enough that it was time to scale. And they ended up taking investment, I think it was in 2012. And that really started the company on the, the growth journey that we've been on. We went public in 2017. And, you know, we're now in a, a very small group of what they call hyper growth companies. And so, you know, I refer folks to our investor page and take a look and you can see all the financials, but, you know, we continue to grow at what feels like sometimes extreme rates. It's very exciting, but managing growth is sort of requires a special approach and thinking and thought process. That's really what I spend a lot of my time doing is trying to figure out how can we go fast, go faster uh, globally in the U.S. And that's everything from our program to our operations, to the people we hire, the kinds of people we bring on board, and just our overall strategy for working with partners. It's really all about this, this amazing growth engine that we're part of, and how, how do we just, how do we add to that? And so if we're not making wise choices, you know, it's a pile up on, on Interstate 5, right? And, and I've got folks lined out my door. So we really are all about managing hyper growth. And it's, it's exciting. What was the state of the channel organization within Alteryx when you joined? Was it already established? Yes. Yeah. No, we'd had some strong leadership prior to my coming aboard. Uh, and my direct boss, Steve Walden, is, is he's got a, an even broader global remit. And Steve and I work, work well together. But there had been a, a good foundation of partners that Alteryx had built out over the years. We were sort of at the point, though, where what we had done to get to be a $50 million company just wasn't going to scale. And we have aspirations to be very large. And so a lot of what we're doing is really done in the context of, how, you know, how do we get to be a billion dollar company or something at that, at that size at some point down the road. And so we had good partner relationships. We have some amazingly well-aligned partners who really understand our culture and understand our users and share our passion. And so those things were, were in place when I came on board. It was just, how do we make it work better? And how do we grow more partners into successful partners? Because we, we, had, we had a bunch, but we needed to bring on more. So were partners part of the initial success of the company as it shifted from consulting to a product company? Did they adopt a partner strategy pretty early on? Yeah. And it's, it's morphed over the years and there are regional nuances to sort of what we do. I mean, things in Latin America work different from they do in Middle East Africa versus Europe versus North America. But yeah, I mean, there was, there was somewhat of a, a framework that was in place. I mean, standard things like program and discounting, it just needed to be updated and, and worked through and made more relevant for kind of the business we're in today. I mean, certainly as a channel leader coming into a new organization, one of the things you always look at is you know, how partner friendly is the organization? 
Mm-hmm. Does that go? I always think of it as a continuum sort of on one hand, you've got everything is, is sort of partner centric. And the other hand is we hate partners and most companies are somewhere in between, but as part of my own journey and, and sort of getting up to speed on, on what we do, you know, was really trying to assess kind of where we are. And so the partner friendliness sort of the part orientation was there. Uh, we just needed to do more more to make it easier for the partners and for our sellers to work with partners. Again, like a lot of things, it's often kind of operational, kind of where the blockers are. Mm-hmm. But the, the desire to work with partners and collaborate was very strong. And, and that's that's phenomenal. That's something you can build on. And that that's something you can really, you know, you can accelerate when you've got when you've got the right culture in place. Do you think what you found at Alteryx was pretty typical for companies that you know, are in high growth, they reach a certain level or plateau where they maybe outgrow what they implemented from a partnering perspective. Is that kind of a natural progression you think within companies? I, I think so. And again, I think you get back to sort of what you did in the beginning is not what you can do, you know, to grow and scale. An example of that would be say recruiting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the U.S., say North America, you know, we have a, a really solid group of partners. We've got, you know, maybe a hundred, 150 uh, we're at a point, though, where even with our great growth, it takes a long time from a partner to go from really being recruited, onboarded, and generating revenue just, just based on the market and the kind of yeah. technology it is. So it takes a while. And so, you know, we're careful about who we bring on board because we can go faster working with the great partners we have. And so new partners, you know, we tend to want them to be additive, right? We do a lot of transactions, but I wouldn't say we're transactional in what we do, if that makes sense. So I'm not looking for sort of single transaction partners. We're looking for people to build a practice. And ultimately, you know, the partners that do well, we have a strong cultural alignment. They really understand the the gist of what we do and how we make customers successful. And they share our passion for that, truly. Mm -hmm. And so those, you know, we can tell pretty quickly who's going to make a good, a good partner, but we spend a lot of time talking about that. So we don't waste our time with folks that are going to struggle. And, you know, we end up spending a lot of time with, and it just doesn't go anywhere. And that's, you know, understanding who, who needs to be in the ecosystem is as important as like who shouldn't be in the ecosystem. Right. Uh, Have you had to do, you're getting more selective in your recruiting. Are you also perhaps calling some partners out who aren't really ready to make that investment? Yes. Yeah. And, and that's always hard, right? Because a lot of those partners were, in early, you know, we had, you know, their friends, right? We built business mm-hmm. with them. And, but at some point it may not make sense for either side. And so, yeah, we've gone through that process and, you know, you always want to give from my perspective is you're going through in you know, a process of calling out sort of who may make sense, who may not make sense is if folks want to re-engage and, and recommit, absolutely give them the, you know, the path to do that. But if they're not there, there's really no sense in, in sort of wasting energy trying to make it something it's not, right? Right. Um, but I will say we are doing some very, very interesting things on recruiting into some markets that we're investing in. So like healthcare is a good example of that. I've hired a partner development manager who's who's really focused on building out that ecosystem. And we spent the first, you know, three, four months of his being on board, really trying to figure out what is our recruiting profile? Who Like going through just many, many, many organizations, trying to find the right patterns, trying to establish that, and then to build the right cadence with our marketing organization so we could really target those partners, make sure we're going to the right events, making sure that our value prop to them was really crisp. The results have been great. And we've really been able to sort of break into some partner accounts. We just 
We wouldn't have been able to if we hadn't really invested the kind of the upfront effort to figure out who, who we wanted to bring aboard and why we would be relevant to them and why we needed them. And so targeted recruiting is really critical. I think sort of the ad hoc sort of recruiting is sort of less, is less interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about that targeted recruiting. How did yeah. you go about identifying those key characteristics that you were looking for? And yeah. then did you take a, a data-driven approach, analytics, for example, to, yep. to find those partners? Yeah. And so, you know, the first thing was sort of looking through our existing partner ecosystem and to see who is sort of healthcare relevant. And so Alteryx is a, you know, is a, an analytic platform that's really all about helping users, sophisticated users, you know, do self-service data and analytics. So it's really about helping, you know, get more insight out of your data. Mm-hmm. And you may be a highly sophisticated spreadsheet user, and but you've sort of hit the wall in your capacity to sort of manage kind of the data. Uh, and so we can really automate things. We can free up time. We can allow you to get just deeper into, into your data and get greater insight. Uh, but as a mere mortal, like I don't have to go to a data scientist. I don't have right. to be a SaaS, a SaaS programmer to really get insight, right? So we can we can empower the users to do that. And so, but it's a it's a horizontal platform that we sell into many industries and many departments and many domain areas. Uh, but we have a lot, a lot of healthcare clients and healthcare workflows that we understand and, and very specific value we can provide to those clients. So what we found was we had um, many partners who had sold into healthcare, but weren't healthcare partners per se, mm-hmm. right? So they had knowledge, but they didn't wake up every day thinking about healthcare. So that was that was helpful, uh, but it wasn't sufficient. And so we really had to take a look at, you know, what what kinds of companies were out there that would be that would be that really were people who woke up every day thinking healthcare, and who probably needed to go do more with analytics. And so it was sort of a healthcare centric perspective as opposed to like a, an Alteryx to healthcare perspective, if that made sense. Right. And, and it, and it really required us to really rethink what, you know, how, how we were going to go after these folks and build the profile. So, so yeah, there was, there was a lot of analysis looking at, you know, frankly, various industry reports, uh, just doing a lot of scanning of the web. You know, I hired somebody with a healthcare background, which helped a great deal. Looking at the various ecosystems of the big technology players, you know, Epic being an example, and and to make sure that we we are sort of understanding. And then, you know, attending a lot of uh, events and trade shows and starting to hone our our message and our understanding. And then from there, we we developed a pretty a pretty tight list. And then we we worked closely with marketing to build some very sophisticated campaigns that we can target these accounts with. And so that when they show up to Alteryx, you know, they get a very customized experience to Alteryx mm-hmm. and healthcare for them. And we lead them down the road to become a partner. And it's, it's, it, the results have been great. Uh, it's been a great partnership with our folks in marketing, but it's been, you know, it's been highly targeted. And, yeah. and because we're not doing mass targeting, it's like we're building out this market. We've, we've really gone after, we've gone after that. And so I've taken that same model now and really what it's really about inputs and outputs. And I was like, if you really understand who you're targeting and we can build the right marketing content to support that, we can, we know that we can get more partners through the system recruited faster. So we're now rolling it out in Europe, we're rolling out in Middle East, rolling it out in Asia. Excellent. And you're rolling out the healthcare approach globally or also now targeting other verticals? Other verticals. And it, and it's really more just the the process that we have built to you know, if, if my channel manager in Singapore understands 
really understands the profile they're going for, and they we can work with them to help a target who might you know who might be a good fit, you know, rather than them just getting on the phone and <laughs> dialing for dollars. Right. We can build a very targeted campaign going against those partners we want to bring in, and and create an experience for them that really shows that we can speak to them. And so, so basically it's, it's something we built for healthcare, but we can genericize it. We've genericized it and we're using it in other, other parts of the world, localized and, and so forth. But it was, it was really a partnership between sort of the business development function and the marketing team uh, to, to build that out. Excellent. Excellent. What other types of things are you doing to drive scale with yeah. this hyper growth? So um, certainly, you, you know, you often, you know, channels is a messy business as, as you well know, and so you, you have to make sure that you, you know, you, your systems are, are up to task and that you've got, you know, sufficient automation and your policies make sense. So there's, you know, there's sort of the ongoing sort of management of that. Uh, and so we did a, a fair amount of just trying to stop doing dumb things and do more smart things. So there's, there's that, there's that step. We are rolling out a new PRM and that's very exciting. We're, we're using a web infinity uh, as the, the PRM. We're very excited. They've been a great vendor to work with. Uh, we just kicked off the project. And so one of the things that we hadn't had actually is an example of just kind of where we had been, we didn't have a full blown deal registration process. Mm -hmm. So, which is a little crazy for a company our size, but we're thrilled to actually have that under development and something we'll be rolling out next quarter. Um, that's going to make a big difference. And the, the web infinity, uh, PRM, uh, is interesting to us because it, it is very much focused on the partner journey. And so how we can arrange content, how we can make resources and information available to partners and then track how they're progressing through those journeys is really, really interesting. It also allows us to get very granular in terms of building ecosystem by, you know, by industry, say healthcare, you know, a healthcare partner would have a different experience uh, and gives us the tools to do that. So we think that's going to be a kind of a next, a next level thing for us and, and should propel us forward. You know, as we, you know, we, we strive to double our business and double our business. I'm not expecting to get, you know, double my staff, right? So we need system tools that are going to help us scale. And so we're, we're still in the honeymoon phase with this. We you know we haven't, you know, deployed it yet. We're going through that, but so we're very optimistic. It's going to be next level for us. Um, the other thing that we've been doing is we've been rebranding the, the partner program. We haven't, we haven't really rolled this out yet, but it's something we will be uh, rolling out at our, our partner summit in June. And so, you know, Alteryx has kind of an irreverent fun brand and that just hadn't gotten infused into the way we're presenting the partner program. So again, if, you know, our best partners really culturally align with us, we want the partner program experience to mirror the company brand experience. You know, those partners when they're in working with the client are, you know, in some ways brand ambassadors, right? They're really an extension of the brand in many right. ways, the customer experience is very much contingent on, on how the partner behaves and what they do. So the more we can align with them, you know, around that overall thought process, you know, we think the better. So, so infusing the brand into the program has been a big initiative for us. And it's not just about swag and t-shirts and, you know, coasters, really. It's about, it's, it's very much just about getting your best partners really aligned with, with how you look at the client, what success looks like. I mean, beyond sort of transactional stuff, like we all need to make mm -hmm. money, but sort of right. how we do that is, is important. And so we've built a lot of measurements in the program around things like customer success and certification. I mean, those are sort of core to how we look at the program. 
is a way of measuring that, but it's, 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 it's about that. Are you measuring, sorry, Josh, are you doing any types of surveys to measure either partner satisfaction or partner's customer satisfaction? Yeah, not, not enough. And so as part of kind of my journey in building this thing out and really, you know, building us for scale and kind of world-class aspirations, like world-class partner program aspirations, Mm -hmm. uh, having the right communication sensors out there is, is really critical, obviously. So, you know, surveying partners is a, is a key element. We just, we haven't done it. It's a, it's a goal for this year. And it's just, at some point, it's just, you know, tr- you know, working through your list and get, we're just not at that, that stage yet. We did, you know, we have a global kickoff. Everybody from the company comes together once a year for a week. Our top partners join us. And so they, they are there with us as we're, you know, announcing plans for the year. And we did do in, in January, our first partner advisory council. So we have a, a global partner advisory council, which is one way for us to get direct feedback. It's a, you know, in some ways it's a simple, it's simpler than a survey, but it, it gives us a lot of the same kind of feedback. And these are our most invested partners. Right. In, in addition, we will do the, the partner survey at, at some point this year. And, you know, we need between our, you know, but just between our own interactions with partners on a daily basis, between our partner summits, we do three. We do one in Asia, one in Europe, one in the U.S. Ours is in, in Nashville this year. And then our sort of ongoing engagement with our partner advisory council. Those are sort of the the inputs and mm-hmm. in, uh, sort of keeping us calibrated to kind of voice of the partner. But that'll grow and mature. But it, it's, it's an important step. And you know, having a partner advisory council is, is massively valuable for anyone who's run it. It's, it's probably the most important thing we do on some level. But we also need the survey to catch kind of the, 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 the cast the wide net and to get a lot of our kind of our associate tier partners, giving them a voice and kind of, you know, understanding what their requirements are. Right, right. You know, with the transition or transformation of the channel, the transformation with digital transformation, moving to SaaS, recurring yep. revenue models. Yep. Yep. I think there's going to be a lot more focus on measuring customer satisfaction. Yes. And not, we do it already for direct customers, but understanding which partners are driving the best customer satisfaction. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm, you know, as a data driven company, we, we, you know, I have access to, you know, phenomenal data sets on, on how people use our, our, our products. And we're just starting to dig into that. It's, it's a really rich data set. It's quite interesting. Uh, and where we're starting is what are the renewal rates of our products, you know, mm-hmm. with partners and without, and looking at it on a, on a region basis, looking at it on an in- industry basis. One of our key uh, engagement models with partners is, is obviously resell. We do, we do a lot of resell. We also do a lot with uh, influence and sort of sales collaboration where we're paying sort of influence fees. That's been a very effective model for us as well. And so we can break down what are the retention rates for partners versus direct, whether it was a reseller, whether it was an influence partner. We can also look at something that's really interesting, which is what happened within that account over a couple of years. Did the account grow or did it shrink? And our technology is very sticky. You know, it spreads like wildfire. So the growth within an account is really critical to us. It's one of the things we measure a lot. We measure Renewal rates, I think our renewal rate, I think is north of 130%, between 100 and 135%, like 130, 135, depending quarter to quarter. And so that's really high. And so our partner, our resellers are higher than that. So they are exceeding our standard rates. So mm. part of the way that I, when I'm speaking with our direct sales team, and I work very closely with our, our direct sell, you know, sales leaders and sellers, 
and you know you always get in the conversation about you know why should i bring in a partner versus do something direct and we can unequivocally say hey you know your renewal rates are going to be much higher here's the data and the growth rates are significantly higher here's the data and so we know that if we embed a partner you know the customer is going to be happier they're going to buy more they're going to renew at greater rates and so that's all very compelling. It's, it's, it's macro level, right? It doesn't necessarily relate to you, but at, at, at a general statement, we, you know, we know these things to be true and we can, you know, we can really point to, you know, the data to back that up. That seems to point to the fact that that partner is that local trusted advisor. They're close to the customer. Yeah. They're providing that, that handholding to make sure they're really getting value from the Alteric solution. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have a real strong focus on what we call land and expand. And so, you know, a client may just start with one or two seats of, of Altrix. And over time, they may, you know, that may go to five to 10 to 100 to several hundred. Mm -hmm. And so, and that, that pattern happens all the time. But the partners are really integrated into the expansion because they're the ones that are in there talking with the clients, building the workflows helping them, you know, assess the right data sets to bring into the, into the Altrix platform. Um, and so, you know, partners really can, can get, you know, can be that trusted advisor and really get woven into, you know, the, the customer's analytic journey. And so if you look and see a lot of our success stories, you know, partners are all over all of them because they were, uh, I say all of them, but a, a large number of them, right. because, you know, that, that journey is a, you know, is it, you know, many hands make light work, right? I mean, it's, it, it takes, it takes a lot. And, you know, we're, again, we're a technology company, we're a platform company, you know, we don't, you know, we're not healthcare experts, although we have people who, who sell into that market. We, you know, we aren't experts necessarily in say CPG or, you know, pick it, right? So we rely on our partners to really provide that industry knowledge, the domain knowledge, the deeper subject matter knowledge. So it's, it's a really strong partnership between what they do and what we do and how that really, how that plays out in the customer environment. Yeah. All great value statements for the channel, for those listening that need to convince <laughs> their, <laughs> their counterparts of why they, the channel is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's jump back into your team. So one yeah. of the big challenges in any, you know, hyper growth or growing business from the channel side is the channel team and finding yeah. good talent and developing that talent into real channel professionals. What's been your experience and, and how are you tackling that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, you know, um, I've been really fortunate in my career. You know, I've done a lot of hiring over the years. Yeah, I've had the, the good fortune to work for companies that have allowed me to, to really hire the right kinds of people. And, and for me, often that means I'm, I'm hiring top talent and, and very much, you know, I'm looking for, you know, partner managers, partner account managers who, who have a, a big picture view who really can step up and think that they're, they're running their own franchise. You know, I'm not looking to put somebody into a, a box and, and just have them handle a set of tasks, but I'm really looking to create the kind of the, you know, the job, kind of the job responsibilities where they're, they're essentially running a franchise. If, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And like so, a, like almost a general manager of their business, of their territory. So as managers, leaders, we talk about that a lot. It, it actually you have to you have to take steps to put that in in place. And so, 
you know, a lot of it is, you know, can you, you know, can you enable your people and empower your people and hire the right folks? It's, it's pretty critical. Um, and so one of the things that I always look for, uh, and I may, this may be a contrary position uh, to how others handle it. You know, I think sales relevance is a really important attribute. So anybody that I hire needs to be relevant to my direct sales team uh, and to the partner themselves. Uh, our partner managers aren't necessarily customer facing, but they have to be sales relevant and bring value to the equation. So they're not just managing transactions. They're not just necessarily managing the partner. I really want them focused on, you know, working closely with the direct team because that's where a lot of that's where the magic happens when the partners mm -hmm. and the direct team get together and we connect the right the right people with the right people and and set it up in a way that that you know it, it everyone wins. So you have to hire senior people who understand that. Uh, and who have, who can build trust both internally and with the partners. And, you know, if the partner manager, I mean, often what I've seen is the partner manager can end up becoming isolated outside of the direct sales motion or outside of the sales motion and their value gets greatly diminished. And so, you know, I work really hard to get my channel directors aligned with our regional sales VPs is to be kind of that right-hand person and then to sort of set them up as that general manager in that business. It doesn't always work, but that's the, that's the goal. And when, when it works well, it works really well. And those tend to be the best performing regions with the highest partner attach rates uh, and the best partners. And so that we, that, that I tend to start there and kind of work my way back. So a lot of the folks I've hired this year had done some partner stuff, but had probably done as much direct sales stuff. And mm -hmm. they, they, they saw it as an opportunity to take on a, a bigger, more challenging role, say, than just a direct sales role, which are obviously very challenging. But, you know, these roles, you're touching so many things, right? The challenge I've had, Josh, in bringing people in from sales is they have a transaction mentality. Their, yes. their yes. thrill is winning that next deal. Yes. How, how do you get them to move from that to moving to the big picture and taking a longer term strategic approach? Yeah, it, it's, you know, Robbie, it's a great question. And you kind of work through that during the hiring process and that you want enough of that. you like, you want people who are, and it's not to say, you know, channel folks don't do this, but, you know, salespeople who really are very next step oriented uh, and that there are people who really are, are, are you know, their, their DNA is kind of, they're wired that way. So you just look for those attributes, but you also want the intellectual curiosity there that says, hey, I really, the big picture is interesting and building out a business is interesting. And they have some passion for that. And so they have to, they have to have an understanding that they are an agent, but they're working through other folks to get, to get what they done. I find it, you know, for me, this, I, you know, I started off in sales, I was in sales for a long time. I had great sales success. I just find the bigger picture more interesting. Like there, there are more problems to solve. And I, I, that invigorates me. And right. so you, find, you try to get people who sort of have that same that same DNA. And, you know, as I said, you, you work a lot in, in just in empowering them and enabling them to think as themselves as, as general managers. And, you know, and we don't always hire that way. I mean, sometimes people are hired to really be that transactional channel, transactional kind of person. And, and there's definitely a need and a role for that. But, you know, I, I think when I'm trying to manage growth and, and double the business and double the business, you know, you need people who can really, lead breakthrough performance from partners. And it's not necessarily done at a transaction level. It's done at, it's done through different things. Right. Exactly.
So you've had an interesting channel career. You've worked in some major companies, uh, Informix, Esri, Sun Microsystems. You've done some startups. What have you learned? You've seen a variety of cultures on that spectrum you talked about from (laughs) channel is evil to channel is our savior. Yes. (laughs) What have you learned along the way? Uh, well, I think like you know, any of us who've been doing this for a long time, you 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 certainly fail a lot, and and hopefully don't make a lot of the same mistakes, right? And so, you know, I think certainly as I was just sharing, I you know, one of the things for me is is the connection with with the sales team is 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 essential, and and again, it's understanding you know the company. If, I, if I'm working for a you know, a cyber company and everything is 100% channel and the channel is the sales organization, right? That might be different. But for the companies that I've worked for that have all had a very strong direct sales motion, you know, how do we how do we create a relevant kind of channel motion that is either, you know, in in, in support of or or in addition to what, what's happening? So I think just understanding that most most of the challenges that I've seen just through the years often have to do with, with expectations of executive leadership of what, mm-hmm. what the channel is all about. And it's often a very personal thing because people have experienced channel in a certain way and they, and they want it to be that way. So new, new leadership team comes in and, you know, and they, want, they want it to be a certain way. And it's based on, well, it's what I did at my last company or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of context behind that. So I think as channel leaders, you know, we have to work hard to stay aligned with where the company's going, with our executive leadership is going and what the thoughts are. And to, you know, because that does change and it does evolve and you want to stay in front of that. And just, you know, what maybe was successful may not be successful in the future. And so I think just you know, being open to the fact that this stuff evolves. I, I think I've also experienced that, that sometimes, you know, we can get really hung up on an approach and, and really feel that it becomes a, almost a religious conversation about what is right. right and what is wrong. I'm not sure that those are always the best conversations or the most valuable way of looking at things. And so I think, you know, a level of flexibility is, is important in your, in your thought process and your thinking. And, and just being open. And I think the folks that I've seen kind of who are in it for the long run, who seem to, you know, find that, you know, who's, who I've seen to be in the right kinds of roles, you know, that they've got some mental acuity in terms of how they, how they handle change. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, I think the other, one of the really big things that I've, I've learned through the years and I, you know, my, frankly, my experience at Esri was, was very much informative, kind of informs a lot of my thinking on this is just the importance of culture and cultural fit. I've just, you know, looking at things through the years that the partners that, that I've had the most success with, I think have had the strongest cultural fit for the organization I was working for mm-hmm. and, and that they understand, you know, we have a common view of what the customer looks like and what success is. We're very comfortable together. And when we look for examples of what's a great partner, it's usually the ones with the strongest cultural fit. And so I, I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about culture uh, in terms of how we model out who we work with and, and what are the behaviors that we're, we're trying to drive. Uh, and that, I think that's, that's been an important thing. I yeah. Think. That's a, that's a great point, Josh. It's a less tangible point. Yeah. 
to measure, you know, how do you measure a, a partner's culture? But if you look at your own culture and what you value and what your CEO values and, and in Esri, you've got a founder who's been the CEO forever, yeah. just like I experienced at SAS, but there yeah. is that very deep ingrained culture. And it's, it's highly important that the people, your own employees coming in are a fit yeah. with that culture and, and absolutely your partners. And, and it's, it is an intangible and it feels a little soft and squishy and I can't, yeah. I, it's hard to measure it on a, on a dashboard, right? I have amazing sets of data and I can look at partners in many, many different ways. And, and you know, we try to model cultural behaviors in, in ways that we can measure. And we try to model, you know, behavioral things. Uh, but, you know, it is, frankly, it is often how, you know, when we, when we spend time with folks, they're speaking our language. Right. I, I don't know how I measure that on a dashboard, but I know that when I, spend time with, you know, the top 10 partners that I have, we're all on the same page. And that's, you know, I think it, you know, it is an intangible thing or a quasi intangible thing. And, you know, look, I can measure certifications and I can measure various degrees of platform adoption and I can measure renewal rates. All of those things tell me the story, but I know when I get in front of these folks, I know who's aligned and who's not. Right. You know it when you see it. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you had a BA in English. Yes, sir. And I don't know if I've ever met a person who knew they were going to end up in the channel, you know, when they were going to school, but how did you make that leap from an English degree to where you are today? Oh, that's, that's funny. So from one of the finest English departments in the country at UC Berkeley. So I'm a, I'm a proud Cal grad. So I will, I will put a shout out to, to Berkeley. So, you know, I, I, in my first job as I was an undergrad, I was with IBM. I was an intern, a branch intern. It was a great job. Uh, I, I learned, you know, early on about how to look and how to act, how to present myself. Um, and so I, you know, I went to work for Eastman Kodak right out of college and it was, you know, you know, back in the day, it was in some ways it was like the best job available, but you know, we had a three, four month training program and they really, they invested a lot in you. And starting out as a sales guy out of school, it was a great, great uh, opportunity and training ground and, and really, you know, learned a lot of, you know, the most important lessons about professionalism and so forth. But I will say, you know, as an undergrad, I was, I probably was going to go and, and, you know, get my, you know, my PhD and, and be a, be a professor somewhere. Uh, but uh, I, I turned out, I like making money and I like selling. So that, that became a stronger, <laughs> a stronger thing. I do find, you know, on a personal note, the, the liberal arts background has been helpful. Um, and, you know, and I've certainly, you know, studied business through the years as well, but, mm-hmm. you know, writing communication for a lot of what we do is really important. And, and so, you know, I emphasize those, 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 those skills as part of what we do. Excellent. Excellent. Are there many, are, are there any companies like that? You know, Eastman Kodak, IBM, they were, had world renowned training grounds for people coming, you know, straight out of college and jumping in and learning how to sell professionally. Yeah. And absolutely. Yeah. So I worked for both Eastman Kodak and Xerox and there was a, there was a big investment in the employee and you just, one of those things you see today, it's, it's, you know, companies, either can't or, or don't make those investments. I will say for Altrix, it was really great to see. We have a, you know, we have a dedicated team of, of trainers. You know, we do a week boot camp when you start. We have a progression from folks who come in as essentially lead development reps up through inside reps, outside reps. And, you know, we have weekly training programs, a lot of coaching and mentoring, huge investment in online training specifics to what we do. So it's different, but, but the investment is there. And, you know, 
you know, when you're when you're hiring folks right out of college or people early career, you know, you need you need to provide those things, and and because you're you're very reliant on them. And so, you know, we'll probably double the size of the company in, in employee count in the in the coming you know period of time. Not a forward looking statement, but just a, right. just in our growth. And so, having an investment in in training and 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 people development is is important. It just you know, we just can't send people off to Rochester, New York, like I went for you know, 13 <laughs> weeks. That just doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. No, no. Well, do you have any tips for channel account managers, maybe folks that are early on in their career who aspire to, to get to your level, to be a, a channel chief ahead of channels? You no, know, it's certainly a journey. And, you know, I think having a, a sort of personal network is important and sort of investing in, in, in the journey is important. You know, finding, you know, finding the right mentors or people to be examples. I absolutely know who, who's influenced my life. You know, certainly being humble is helpful because, you, you know, you can always learn new things. And, you know, I, 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 three or four people throughout my career who've really helped me uh, see things. And they're not always necessarily the nice ones, right? I mean, sometimes <laughs> the lessons are hard. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes lessons may feel like failure, but it's actually the hard lesson. And so as I say, it's a journey. You know, there have been times, say, I didn't get a promotion that I thought I was ready for, and I wasn't ready for it. And and I had more work I needed to do. And that helped me. Yeah. Uh, at the time it was painful. And so, you know, that's that's part of the journey as well. But it's, you know, look, it's the, these are these are wonderful jobs, you know, finding a great company. You know, surrounding yourself with with you know with with like-minded people, and you know, I think this is you know this. I love this. I love you know the company I work for is fantastic, and you know I'm motivated every day to to get out of bed and and try and make an impact. And man, you know, the one thing I will say, managing hyper growth is way different than sort of managing maybe a company that was, you know, simply managing renewal base or something. That right. That is, that is much less interesting. Yeah. Well, growth is where the fun's at. That's for sure. It it, it absolutely is. So, yeah. Well, is there anything about Josh Lewis that you want to share that we wouldn't find on LinkedIn? Oh, gosh. Up until a couple of years ago, I played men's baseball for a long time. And and women played as well. It was primarily men. And so wood bat leagues, kind of old guy, old guy leagues. But I found that that was one of the kind of most satisfying things I could do. And I uh, pitch. And so... What I personally, what I found is, is I got older, you know, after college and, you know, when I, certainly when I was, you know, going through my career, being able to compete was really important. And there were fewer and fewer places to compete. Mm-hmm. And so I just think competition is sort of the lifeblood, uh, was certainly for me of, you know, kind of who I am. And so playing competitive baseball, even though it was old guys running around, it was still competitive <laughs> enough. And it really, in some ways, it kind of, it can define you. And, and I think that's been a healthy thing for me and uh, enjoyable. Yeah. A little bit of competition outside the office. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and winning is important, right? And you can win a lot of different ways, but yeah. Absolutely. Well, Josh, great conversation. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you were hoping to talk no, Rob, about? This is great. And I appreciate the opportunity. I've, you know, listened to some of the other podcasts, really enjoyed them. There was a lot of interesting folks with some, some perspective and, and so glad I had the opportunity to, uh, to talk with you and, you know, share and yeah, absolutely. And, you know, definitely a LinkedIn guy. So if folks ever want to reach out, I'm always happy to talk. Okay, excellent. I'll provide your, your LinkedIn connection in the show notes that I post every time. 
And great conversation. You provided a lot of valuable tips, I think, for folks that are becoming channel chiefs and entering into a, a hyper growth situation. We all, we all want to be there. Well, my pleasure, Rob. Thank you. And have a good rest of your day. And hopefully we'll talk soon. And when you're in Redlands, maybe we can meet up at Hangar 24. Okay, guys, there you go. Some great tips for accelerating channel growth, doing things that you may have forgotten about or never really learned. I like Josh's tips about targeting your recruiting to reach different vertical markets and not to overlook the cultural fit. That's super important. And it's really cool how he talked about getting the partner experience to mirror his own company's brand experience. That's something to really think about. You can find a summary of Josh's tips in today's show notes. Just go to channeljourneys.com slash CJ109. You can subscribe while you're there. And don't forget about my call to action. I'd like you to send the link to Channel Journeys to the podcast to your channel friends, or better yet, send a link to your CRO, your CMO, or maybe your CFO. Get them skilled up on partnering. Next episode, you'll meet another channel pro who's going to share five ways to scale your partner business. Until then, have an awesome channel journey.